0: Um, But you guys, you know what season we're in? Does anyone know? Anyone grow up in a high church or Catholic church? We're in Lent. What is Lent? That's good. No, that's really good. Yeah. Lent is the 40 days before Easter, and it's a time when we're supposed to reflect, and we're supposed to prepare for Easter. Because if we don't prepare for Easter, we don't celebrate what it really is. And so we're in the season of Lent right now. So I'm going to bring a Lenten ser- um, ser- uh, sermon tonight, if that's okay. And we're going to talk about what Easter means and what it means to um, truly celebrate Easter, okay? But before we do that, I want to. Some of you were here a couple weeks ago when I did kind of the DNA of Saturday Night Summer Club. Who was here? Like four people? Okay, awesome. All right. So I'm going to review what our DNA is here, okay? Because um, as we were talking before a couple of weeks ago, you know, a lot of different churches like the Fight Church has its own DNA, I guess, of fighting, of doing mixed martial arts and stuff like that. Joel Olstein has his own kind of DNA. Bethel has its own kind of DNA. That's totally cool. I want to talk about the DNA of what we're doing here, okay? So the first thing, and this I stole straight up from Beth, and I'll tell you right now, God is in a good mood. And he's always in a good mood okay his heart is for us his heart is to bring us life his heart is to restore us it's not to condemn us or judge us he's in a good mood and we can be in a good mood too especially with each other right the second thing and i stole this from gary smalley life is all about relationships the rest is just details so what we're going to concentrate on here is relationships relationships with god and relationships with each other, with our family, with our important others. Because it's about relationship, we're going to value relationship over religion, right? You know, I love, um, I love the church calendar. I love tradition. But I don't believe that tradition is our authority, okay? Tradition can help us. It can um, guide us. It can keep us on track. But it's not our authority. We don't worship tradition but what i like about tradition is that especially like i things like lent and easter and christmas and pentecost things like that it reminds us of important events in the christian life it's important that we celebrate easter it's important we remember what easter is really about and lent helps us to do that i enjoy that kind of thing for the church calendar i really really like it because relationships are important What's our number one relationship? It's God, pursuing God above all things. Good job, girl. Secondly, we pursue relationships with intentional community, meaning that we, we know that we can't do life alone and we're not created to do life alone, so we're going to be intentional about our community and we're going to be intentional about the people we hang out with, what we learn, and what we do because it's important. You know, people say that we're made up of our five closest friends. Did you know that? So who you hang out with is really important. And if you hang out with nobody, what does that say? You're not getting any input in your life. The only input you're getting in life is from the enemy. <laughs> if you hang, What was that about? Oh, that was about you. Settle down back there, okay? <laughs> we accept each other unconditionally, affirming that we're all made in the image of God. Like I went through, like I said last time, we're all broken, we're all weird. What was my other thing? we're all broken, we're all weird, and we're all sinners. Yeah, and we're all different. All of us, one time, all of us are broken at one time, or we're weird at one time, or we've sinned at one time, right? All of us have. So we need to accept each other with unconditional love the way that God does, right? We will love each other without judgment or condemnation. That's not our job. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict. We will carry each other's burdens, but not strive to fix one another. And lastly, we'll pursue our own healing first. We know that people around us need to be healed. I mean, believe me, I know you're all messed up, because I'm messed up, right? But my responsibility is to heal me first. My responsibility is to go after my own healing before I try to give you some kind of healing. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to own our own stuff before we try to impose it on anybody else. So I just want to give you that kind of disclaimer before we go on to the rest of the sermon. That's what we're about here. And so this, what I'm going to talk to you about about tonight is going to be the context of this DNA. Because what I've got to talk to you about tonight, I don't want to talk to you about. Because it's about sin. Who wants to talk about sin? What would you say? I know, right? Good times, right? I was... Um, I was doing some research, and I, was, I, I sent Bob three articles in a row because every time I see an article, I just send it to him right away, and he's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even open those up because <laughs> he's like, there's so many of them. He opened two out of three, so good job. But one of them was talking about the definition of the purpose of a church. You know, in our society, we tend to measure things by numbers. What are your numbers? But you know what? When we look at the verse, Jesus said, he didn't say, go out into the world and get great numbers. What did he say? Make disciples. So there's this idea of discipleship that we need to be pursuing that has to do with a, a deepening of our knowledge and our faith and our relationships that sometimes we don't always want to embrace because it's not fun it's not a feel-good message sometimes. Does that make sense? But we still have to do it because becoming a disciple is an intentional thing where we're like, I'm going to go deeper in my faith and I'm going to learn about things and I'm going I'm to hear things that maybe I wouldn't normally gravitate to. Does that make sense? You know, one thing I've learned, um, on my we do a class on Tuesday nights, I've told you about it a hundred times, it's called... Um, keep your love on by danny silk and you know we keep getting more and more people that come to it and we love it but the thing is we've been doing it about two years now and it seems like it's taken two years for us finally to get some of the concepts that we've been going through in the class because i don't know about you but i have to hear something over and over and over and over before it actually starts to trickle down and change my behavior do you guys ever are you guys like that so sometimes when we talk about discipleship we have to talk about things over and over and over that's why i talked about this dna because i want to say that over and over and over till you don't even question it anymore like you can say it back to me does that make sense and so there are things that we have to talk about um in sin that we don't want to talk about but we have to if we're going to understand what easter is all about you know easter is coming up i think it's in three weeks four weeks maybe and um it is one of, on the church calendar, the most important holidays on the church calendar. You can either pick Christmas or Easter, but some people would argue that Easter is the most important one, because it's the resurrection of Christ. But here's the thing, you guys. if We can't properly celebrate Easter if we don't properly understand our sin, Does that make sense? We can't can't really understand what Jesus did on the cross for us if we don't understand how lost we are right now in sin or were lost before we were Christians. That's why it's important to understand sin. And it's important to understand its power in our lives. You know, (laughs) there's this, there's this thinking out there called postmodern thinking. I've talked to you guys about it before. I'm just going to kind of kind of review it with you. A lot of you know what I'm talking about. And we see it everywhere we go. We see it in our politics. We see it in our social um, issues. Everything that comes at us from the world is coming at us from a postmodern. Modern point of view. And what does that mean? Modern, the modern era, if you will, is the era of reason. It comes after the war, Second World War, and it has to do with the rise of reason. Okay? Reason becomes the authority for our culture and art and literature. And we start looking to um, technology and, and um, science and reason as having all the answers, right? Well then comes the postmodern world, which we 're in right now, and it's a lot of young millennials, and i 'm not cracking on any millennials i 'm just saying that's where a lot of it started, and you know what rightfully so, because what happened is reason does not satisfy reason is not an authority we you know we've been there done that it doesn't really work, even though um, you know the, peop- the reason that people decided and, and fell into the reason as an authority was because they couldn't understand the Second World War. They couldn't understand if there's really a God, why would he allow two world wars? Where was he? Is there a God? So they turned toward reason to be their God. But guess what? Reason doesn't work either. It doesn't work either. And so now we're in the postmodern era, where the hallmark of postmodern thinking is, there is no authority. Authority is relative. You can pick what authority you want. What works for you, works for you. And what works for me, works for me. That's one of the hallmarks of the postmodern thinking. The second is an identification with the marginalized or the other, meaning um, minorities or the oppressed, an emphasis on social justice. Even the environment is is now seen as a marginalized group, not people group, but a marginalized issue. We have marginalized, we have oppressed the environment. Do you see that everywhere we go? Do you see that people are beginning to worship the creation rather than the creator? That is a hallmark of postmodern thinking. How do we militantly stand up for social justice issues the third aspect of postmodern thinking is this there is so much choice out there for us we can choose what restaurant we want to go to we can choose what phone you have an iPhone I have an Android we have so many choices that no choice is worse than another they're all equal all choices are equal whatever choice you make is for you whatever choice I make is for me Okay, those are some hallmarks of postmodern thinking. Another one is and it goes along with relativism is a skepticism, what's called of the meta narrative isn't that crazy word, the meta narrative is the overarching story, if you will, that is being rejected. The overarching story of perhaps what has come before is now being rejected. And postmodern thinkers are now skeptical of that. And here's the reality, you guys. There's nothing wrong with being a skeptic. There's nothing wrong with questioning what came before, because I guarantee you, it's not right. I guarantee you what came before doesn't have all the answers either. So it's not that the postmodern thinker is all wrong. But the number one thing that the postmodern thinker doesn't get right is throwing the baby out with the bathwater that there is no authority. Because I'm here to tell you, there is an authority. There will always be an authority. And until we line ourselves up with that authority, we are going to be walking in sin. We are going to be deceived, and we're going to be walking in sin. You know, I, um, you know Chris Valentin says, and, and I love this, I love this distinction. Do you remember in um, the Old Testament when Moses went to Pharaoh and, and God said, throw down, your, throw down your rod, and it became a snake? Do you remember that? Well, then all the diviners in Egypt did the same thing, and they threw their snake down. And what happened? what happens is the good things of the Lord, <laughs> Satan tries to duplicate that and pervert it and say, wait a minute which is which there are things about the postmodern movement for example the environment there's nothing wrong with taking care of the environment i just got solar panels you guys i love solar panels i'm going to be off the grid as soon as i get a battery and we have another blizzard like we had before you can all come to my house because i'm going to have electricity you know (laughs) in case it goes out i feel not only do I like having solar panels because I like to be independent and you know I'm a prepper and all that kind of stuff I also believe that it is my duty to steward the environment I've been given a role by the Lord to be a good steward of this environment it is not wrong to take care of the environment that is a good thing what the enemy tries to do is take that beyond what God wants us to do, and take into a whole different arena, deceive people, and say, it's not about God, it's about the creation. This has been a marginalized earth, if you will, and now we need to um, take care of it. But they take God out of it, and they do it because of a sense of social justice not attached to the Lord. Do you follow me? And it's like that whole pit where Moses throws his snake down and the diviners throw their snakes down and you can't tell whose is whose. It gets all distorted and messed up. And that's what happens with postmodern thinking. Is things that are good become distorted and become all messed up and you can't tell which is good and which is god. Okay? So I've been thinking a lot about that's why I didn't really want to talk about this because Boy, you can step on a lot of toes. You can step on a lot of toes. Because a lot of people have a lot of strong feelings about what's right and wrong in our society today, right? Gender identity, what kind of marriages, um, you know, just minorities, um, The envir- all those different kind of controversial things are rampant you know socialism communism capitalism you name it we're all arguing about it right now right am i right and so i was like man do i want to open up that hornet's nest i don't think so but the lord kept impressing on me it's really important that especially as we move into easter that we understand that while we may live in a postmodern era we don't have to adhere to everything that postmodern People assert. We still get to stand on what is true. We still get to stand on that we have an authority that we can turn to. All right? Are you following me? You know, it's funny to me because the postmodern thinkers are so socially minded in terms of um, the marginalized person, people that are suffering or maybe haven't had their rights or whatever. But I'm like, wait a minute that comes from God and always has come from God. That's not a new thing. There's nothing new under the sun. Social justice isn't new to you. It's always been there, and God's been the one who has really um, pushed it. In Micah 6, 8, it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God cares about social justice. God cares about the widow and the orphan and the marginalized. And that's the good thing about the postmodern thinker. But when you take God out of it, it becomes distorted and perverted, unfortunately. The problem is one of Satan's grandest deceptions is that we can rest our hope for cultural morality and godly living in politicians and government officials. Karen Johnson. A nation's hope for change is not to be found in the country's ruling class. And I know we're all of a certain age here, except for a couple of young people, and I'm not here to slam any young person, let me tell you right now. But when you've lived past, you know, 39 plus, like what I am, you know that there is no hope for change to be found in the government. I don't care what party is in office, people. I don't care what party's in office. Sorry, Jay don't carry <laughs> I'm just telling you straight up the hope for the world is the church in Jesus Christ it is not the government it is not any kind of thinking it's not modern thinking or postmodern thinking or anti-modern thinking it is not that the church is the hope of the world Like everything, Satan is in the business of deceiving people about the true nature of God. So I'm like, you know what, we got to talk about sin because sin is what's keeping us from living a full life. Sin equals death. I'm sorry, it just does. And when we participate in sin, when we have sinful thinking, we are actually participating in a death-type paradigm. Let's start with Genesis. This is where it all begins because it always begins in Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and the, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die And we see it everywhere we go. Number one, question God as the authority for living. You will not certainly die. What are you talking about? You're not going to die? Number two, promote rebellion against God. The woman took some and ate. So here's the thing, you guys. Sin involves saying to yourself, what God really said isn't true. I can do what I want. I can think the way that I want. I can act the way that I want. What God said isn't really good. It doesn't apply to me. It applies to somebody else. And then that leads to rebellion. When we are now in rebellion against the Lord, when we are not believing what he has said about the world that he's created. Let's just get this straight. God is the creator. We are the creation. He knows what's going on. We don't. When we decide that we are not going to live by God's ways, we're not going to follow his, what he's put down for us, we are in open rebellion against the Lord. That's a hard word, isn't it? That's a hard word, and I'm real, real sorry. Because here's the reality. The consequences of sin is death. Now, I'm going to wrap this up with a really pretty bow at the end so we don't have to stay right here because I know this is heavy. But the reality is the people of this world who do not know the Lord are headed for eternal death. See, death was not God's plan for us. We were actually supposed to live forever in the garden. Death is a consequence of the fall. We were not supposed to age. We were not supposed to die. We were supposed to be fruitful and multiply, woo-hoo, and live forever. That was God's plan for us. When we sinned, we experienced physical death. We experienced physical degradation. Our body wears out. I don't know about you, but I feel like I hit my 50s, 39 plus, and all of a sudden my body wouldn't do anything I wanted it to do. Seriously, it, it, it won't lose weight, it doesn't sleep right at night, I mean, it doesn't want to exercise, it only wants to eat sweets, you know, that's all my body wants to do. It doesn't want to live right. we got to have hip replacements. That was not God's intention. God's, and now, that's just here on earth. Then there's also eternal death. There's eternal separation from the Lord that was not God's plan. That was not God's plan. But that is the consequence of sin. It absolutely is the consequence of sin. We have seen not only physical death happen, but we've seen relational death. You know, you look at the consequences of the, of the garden, and we've got Adam and Eve. Now they're not connected to the Lord. Now they've got to sow fig leaves, so they can't. I mean, they've been naked forever. Why do they have to sow fig leaves? I don't get that. I mean, they were probably naked for a while before this happened, and did they not see everything? Now why do they have to cover it up? I don't get it. You know, shame. I sp- I guess maybe shame. Maybe shame between them and the Lord too. I don't know. But you know, now after this, they're they're thrown, they're cast out of the garden, and sin continues to grow. Now Cain and Abel have a relationship problem. Cain murders his brother, and it goes on till Noah's time. When it says, God was sorry, he had created humanity because every inclination of their heart was to violence. He was sorry. You see, you see how sin takes over. It is a cancer. Sin is a cancer. Ooh, this is heavy. Sorry. And, and dear, dear friends, we've seen this happen in our relationships when we don't act right, or when sin creeps on, our our relationships experience death and degradation, and we're disconnected from one another. We're supposed to be connected to each other. We are created for connection, but sin creates disconnection from the Lord and from each other. And you guys, I'm here to tell you, the people of this world who do not know the Lord are headed for death, not only in this world, but in the next. And I'm sorry to hit it so hard, but we cannot appreciate what happened on the cross unless we appreciate the consequences of sin. So when we interact with our friends in the world, our postmodern thinkers who don't have any objective authority in their life, what's our heart supposed to be for them? Compassion. They're living a life filled with death. They have, they have death, they have a cancer inside of them because they do not know the Lord. Our hearts are not, should not be, oh my gosh, I can't stand them, I can't believe they think that, so that's so crazy. We should be, oh Lord, reach them, touch them, set their hearts ablaze for you because they're headed for death. You know, I look at some of this gender confusion that's going on with everybody, and I don't want to get into this subject, but I'm just going to tell you. I look at this gender confusion, and I feel so sorry for people. Because I look at them, and I say, you are screaming out for someone to love you and accept you right where you're at. That's what I see. Whenever I see <laughs> there's a bathroom in one of these coffee houses I go to that's like unigender or something like that. Not even unisex, but all, it says like all genders on it or something like that. And I just go, oh you're so lost my heart breaks because they have bought into a system of thinking that does not bring life it brings death so when we understand what's the consequences of sin not only do we want to root it out of our own life and we are so thankful that we are new a new creation right But we also want to extend compassion to the people around us. We want to say, I've got a message of life for you. I know somebody who loves you exactly the way you are. And you don't have to search for meaning in this crazy wave of thinking that goes up and down depending on what's in style. Right? I feel so sorry. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Here's what sin does. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Romans 6.16. See, sin is not just an act or a decision, you know, it's, it's a master. I had somebody ask me, what well, does it matter what somebody does in their bedroom by themselves alone? How does that affect anybody? And, my, and I was like, man, how does it affect anybody? Like, who cares what somebody does in their house alone if I don't see what they're doing? Because the reality is sin is not just one act. Sin is a master. You either serve sin or you serve the Lord. You either serve sin or you serve the Lord. And so when we act in opposition to God and in rebellion to God, we are serving a master that is not good for us, that brings us death. And that was the answer I had to give this person. I'm like, sin has consequences, you guys. We are not oceans, I mean, islands, sorry. We are not islands. We are all connected to each other. Everything that I do affects you, and everything you do affects me, one way or the other. And we either, we either embrace the cancer, or we go and get the medicine that gets rid of the cancer. We go to the healer who heals the cancer. I want to paint a picture of the reality of sin. Do you guys remember? Who here, Aaron, I bet you do, who knows the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Raise your hand. Anyone seen Lord of the Rings? Almost everybody? Regina? Seriously? Lord of the Rings is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Do you remember the orcs in Lord of the Rings? They are hideous, ugly, demonic-looking beings. Am I right? They are muddy and gross, and their teeth are all... Jaggedy and everything, and um, in the Lord of the Rings um, movie, in the in the in the story, there are elves and there are orcs. Elves are these divine beings that are wise and powerful, and they live forever. Orcs were taken by the the evil power in the story and perverted. And they, they're born of the earth, and they hunt men, and they kill, and they eat man flesh, and they're ugly, and they're hideous. That's the picture of sin on us. We were created to be the elves that are beautiful, full of wisdom, and live forever. But we are perverted by sin to look hideous and ugly And born of the earth. And if you remember in um, Lord of the Rings, the the main hero, his name is Aragorn? Not Bilbo Baggins. Aragorn. He fights for humanity from the orcs. He, He wages a battle against the orcs so that humans can be free and reign again. It's a fantastic movie. But here's what I want you to imagine. Suppose this hero didn't fight the orcs he fought for the orcs to free the orcs from whom they had become imagine if that hideous ugly being that we see in those movies was somebody that the hero came to save not save us from that person but save them from themselves and turn them back into who they were created to be that's who Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ is the one that says, man, I see you exactly in your sin. I see you exactly what's going on there. I came for you. I'm going to turn you back into who you're really supposed to be. I'm going to turn you back into that beautiful elf that lives forever, that has wisdom and glory and beauty. Because the thing thing about sin is, you guys, no matter how ugly it is, God's never going to leave us in our sin. If we say yes to him, he'll never leave us there. He died so that we can be a new creation, that we get to be who we were really called to be, that we come out of our orc being, and we're like, I'm going to live a new life in Christ. I'm going to throw off sin with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to participate with sin. In fact, I don't even look like sin anymore. Sin doesn't have any power over me anymore. I've thrown it off. God has covered me with who he is. And now I don't have to participate in any death-type activities. I get to participate in life. In fact, here's what, when we get to Easter, this is what Jesus has done on the cross, you guys. Here's some scriptures for you. Colossians, oh, this is my favorite. This is what happened at the cross. This is from the Passion, Colossians 2.15. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon of all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner, they were his. I want you to just picture that in your head, you guys, of sin as a person or an evil thing that God said, you're my prisoner now. You will take none of these. These are my beloved. You will not take them prisoner any longer. You're now my prisoner. I take you prisoner, and I cut off your power in all their lives. Not only does he restore us from sin and, he, and takes that ugliness off of us, but here's the great news. We get to be co-redeemers of creation. You know, the Bible says that creation groans waiting for us to be revealed, that creation was subjected to futility and frustration because of our sin. Do you understand how connected we are? It's not just you and me, it's all of creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And this is what Jesus has come to do on the cross. He said, listen, that sin that you've been snared and had and been you've it's been a master to you. Not only am I going to free you from that, I'm going to set you up on a throne and you're going to rule with me, but here's the things you get to do. You get to redeem creation. We get to redeem creation. You guys, that's good news. We get to do some great things with creation. We are meant to rule and reign, but here's some other things. We get authority in the kingdom. Luke 10:19. now you understand that I've imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. So Jesus has taken our sin, thrown our sin off, and now he said, here you go. Here's the keys. You've got the keys now. Take some authority. Start start walking in your authority. Trample on everything that tries to come against you. We get the power of heaven. Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth be loosed in heaven now we've got we can pull heaven to earth we get to pull down heaven and say whatever in heaven is going to now be on earth we get to walk in the power of heaven and this is my favorite we get to be chain breakers we get to break the chains of the people around us remember how i said we're going to pursue our own healing but boy when we get it we better break chains of people around us we better go after whatever binds people up around us and break those chains with the authority that God's given us. This is my favorite. I'm going to close with this, Luke 4.18. This is Jesus speaking. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. That's what Jesus does at Easter, you guys. He sets free every single person headed for death, and he gives them life. Will you pray with me? Lord, I do thank you, God. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you've done for us. Let us walk in our authority, God. Let us take seriously where we've come from, but let us walk in our authority, setting free everyone around us who's bound up, Lord, let us be co-redeemers of this world with you, that we would shout the good news everywhere we go. We would have a heart of compassion for those that are lost and headed for death, that are living in death, that are desperately searching for you, God. Let us love our neighbor. Let us touch our neighbor. Give us kingdom power, Lord, to do more than what you've ever done, God. We love you and we bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.